and then he wrote this bizarre script about you know this overweight depressed girl he loved Abba. <laughs> it was a serial liar. And I remember, remember reading it saying, God, who's going to see this? Hello, my name is Dov Cornets, and you're listening to the Films That Changed My Life podcast. I've got plenty of films that changed my life, but today I got legendary Australian actor Matt Day to come in and talk about his. And also, I took the opportunity uh, to discuss his career, which I've never really known about. That was him talking earlier, of course. You probably recognise that very famous voice. And you'll hear more from him shortly. Matt and I go back a while. Um, in fact, you know, I was a fledgling freelance journalist when I first interviewed him. And he gave me, you know, some good, some good interview. Um, just off the back of his role in, um, in Bill Bennett's Kiss or Kill which was kind of one of his first really leading roles after being in, um, in various really showy support parts. He's an interesting creature, and I mean, I think he's a real example of what Australian actors go through. You know, yes, you could drop everything and go to Hollywood and, you know, I guess if that's what motivates you, or you can, you know, if you've got the chops, you can um, maintain a reasonable, modest career in Australia. And I love the fact that, you know, Matt, you know, the reason we got him in is because he's, um, he appears in a, in a really interesting movie called Reaching Distance, which we're presenting at Film Inc. But it's a total indie, and, you know, Matt is great in it, adds real gravitas. Um, it's not a lead role at all, but, you know, he's into it. And as I, you know, I, I mean, he pops up on things like black comedy all the time in sort of roles that you other people would would not accept but he he does it and um you know he, he's got a family to support and you know he, this is his job but he's really good at it anyway i'll stop ranting and let's hear more from matt my first memory of you and i don't know if you remember but i remember doing an interview with you around Potts Point in a cafe, and it must have been, it must have been kiss or kill time. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm, I must have been a blur, you know, like a, a blurry journalist. It was for an Oyster magazine or something like that. But it just shows, I think, I feel old. I don't know, like, so I've been doing this for a long time, and yep. you you have as well. Yeah, you know? 30 like, years, I think it is. It's yeah. amazing. And, yeah. like, can you can you talk about, like, how, because I, I can't even remember, but how did you sort of fall into, you know, the acting game? Yeah, I mean, I did kind of just stumble into it. I suppose from when I was about 12, I started doing, you know, drama at school and kind of discovered that I had a a facility for it, I guess you'd call it that. People told me that I was, you know, pretty okay at it. So <laughs> I thought, I thought, well, it was a better, better option than that. I mean, the great thing about doing drama was that it wasn't like doing sport. It was, it was low impact. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and uh, you weren't and necessarily sporty, me. you mean? I wasn't like, very sporty. Okay. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I was particularly academic. So it kind of suited me. And I just found that I kind of enjoyed it. And then and then I kind of did, you know, the usual kind of thing of uh, I took myself off to do after school drama at St. Martin's Youth Theatre, which is quite a, you know, a well-established uh, 
theatre in Melbourne and an agent saw one of the shows I was in. Uh, I think it was a stage production of The Hobbit <laughs> in which really? I played Thorin, King of the Dwarves. They should really bring that back. Now. Yeah, I know. I'm totally. surprised they haven't. <laughs> and uh, and sent me off to an audition and I kind of just started landing jobs and, and then woke up and I'm an, an adult. <laughs> okay. so, so it just kind of, like kind of one thing decided, led to another yeah decided what i was going to do for a living so i just kind of yeah just kind of rolled into it so and your your folks weren't kind of like going maybe you should get a real job or you know uh, a... i think my mum who i mean i was raised by my mum she mm. was i think she was just relieved that i'd found something that i wanted to do okay because you were um, a bit unsure like a bit wavering were you well i mean at 12 <laughs> were you traveling yeah i was like sitting on the fence you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> You, you, yeah, you weren't uh, sure what you wanted. Yeah, anyway. I had no idea. Yeah, 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 yeah I, exactly. You know, I just wasn't particularly interested. And this was something you were good at. You were pa a little bit yeah. passionate. I mean, about I got it. offered a job. So I, you know, I did a handful of kind of jobs. I, did, I think the first job I did was a thing called Care of the Bartons on mm -hmm. the ABC. It was a. It, that was the first big. I did a couple of extra jobs, but that was the first proper proper role. And um, then you know, then I straight away I got a play at Playbox Theatre when it used to be around. And then there was House Rules, which was another series on the ABC that I did. So they kind of just collided into each other. And I just found it really hard to get back into school after working with adults. Mm, mm, to get back into the kind of institutional mindset was was really difficult. So I was offered a play. I was offered a country practice when I was 17. And I think I was just finished year 10 or year 11. And it meant leaving school, leaving Melbourne and moving to Sydney. So... I just did that. I said, this okay. is what I want to do. So I, I left home and okay. moved to Sydney at 17. And, and did the full-time gig. Did that for two years and okay. yeah, didn't really look back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was easy to, because obviously, I think from, for me, you know, it was when you got your film roles and things like that. Yeah. Was it, you know, nor, uh, a normal transition from the TV world? No, to... look, it was so different back then. I yeah. mean, TV was really kind of looked down on, not like it is now. Where it's kind of the reverse. It's like you know, everyone in film wants to get into television. Well, at least it feels like that. No, it was. It was not. It it didn't really translate. I mean, I I did the TV job for two years, and then that was enough for me. It was too much like a real job, <laughs> which is the whole reason I joined the circus in the first place was to run away from that fate. You know, I didn't want a, a normal job, normal life. But it was a couple of years after leaving that I, I landed my first film, which was written by PJ Hogan, who wrote the first job I did, which was The Bartons when I was 14. So PJ and Jocelyn Morehouse, his partner, wrote The Bartons. I think it was one of their first jobs out of film school. Okay, really. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. so... Then Muriel's Wedding came around. And, and was it wild and wacky, like maybe some of their later work? The Bartons, that is? Uh, not really. Yeah. I mean, it was a kind of, well, it was a little bit. It was a kind of family comedy slash drama, dramedy, I think you'd call it, 12-parter, I think it was, based around a 12-year-old girl and her family. Okay. Um, and it was a, uh, I think Jocelyn made a short film, Ellie's Treehouse, I think it was anyway. I can't, it's, a, it's all very hazy now. <laughs> That's a long, Such a time, long ago. time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I found the okay. book actually. There was a novel. She'd novelized it, and there's a there's a novel. I should show you the photo if I had it somewhere. But mm. uh, it was me and and the actress uh, Olivia Harkin, I think her name was. Okay. On the cover of this novel, 
when I was when I was twelve. Wow! And so they did it as a novelization as well as a series yeah, at the yeah, same time. Yeah. And sorry, I interrupted. So there was a feature project that PJ wrote, which was Muriel's Wedding. <laughs> so that was PJ had had another film that had been bouncing around. I think it was a swimming kind of drama that had fallen fallen over, and then and then he wrote this bizarre script about you know this overweight depressed girl who loved Dabba. <laughs> It was a serial liar. And I remember, remember reading it, just going, God, who's going to want to see this? But I really wanted to do a film because everyone, what you wanted to do then, you just like, you just wanted to, you wanted to break into film. And yeah, at, at yeah, that yeah. point, the only people kind of my contemporaries, or they were a bit older than me, only a couple of years, but um, who were doing films were like Ben Mendelsohn, Aidan Young, and Noah Taylor were like the three. Yeah, get every yeah they were all in. They do every role. <laughs> I actually, I went to school with Noah. He was like a couple of years ahead of me. Oh, wow. At University High. Um, his brother was a good mate of mine in my year. But I didn't get along with him back then because like he was like the cool goth kids, you know. <laughs> you were <laughs> they the, were just way well, too cool. Or you were the square just, or something was, or yeah, whatever was it was. Like no brand. You know? Okay, okay. Like, he, had a, you know, he had the yeah. goth brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, was yeah. goth brand. I was just like, I don't know, home brand, Vanilla, home yeah. brand teen. <laughs> that's classic. So no, that's it's so really when you saw Muriel's Wedding, you kind of like you didn't because you, you, no one could have picked it really no that it would just blow it. up no. like that, yeah, no. and connect. It's interesting, uh, isn't yeah, it? So yeah. So then that was crazy, and I kind of thought, oh well, they must all be like this, you know. Every time you do a film, it's international kind of sensation. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let down, yeah, yeah, a bit. But I was going to say, so, and we'll get to reaching distance, which is one of the reasons I, I've got you in here. Apart from also, I'm I'm fascinated, and also films that change your life, but also that you're directing as well. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask quickly as well because I understand you went to England as well, yeah, yeah. and worked there. What mm. was so there was a certain point that you what dropped everything and went there after you know establishing yourself a bit here. Yeah, I guess that was I was late twenties, maybe what was it twenty nine or so. Yeah, it was just one of those kind of things where I, it was actually I you know my wife was born over there, okay, and she always wanted to you know spend time there i hadn't really thought about it i'd spent a bit of time in in la and and not enjoyed myself <laughs> i think the longest stint i did it was like three months but i would go and sleep on couches and then invariably get a job back in australia and get out as quickly as i could yeah. it's always and, like i always think like someone like ben mendelson who i spoke to why and he would try it wouldn't he or yeah, occasionally yeah. you know and it would it look, it so would look for our generation mm. you know i guess i think we were the last generation too that was really unusual. It was not. It was not a, a common path. The kind of now it's like you know you get out of drum school, you go to LA. Yeah, yeah, pilot season. Uh, yeah. Do pilot season, and all of that is is much more open. I suppose it's much more global. Yeah. But um, Back it then, was very unusual. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, the first people I knew who who really did it. I mean, apart from Mel Gibson and Judy Davis, mm. who were like the the boomer, one and Sam Neill. Mm. Um, would have been it was it was we can blame Russell and Nicole for really kicking down that door I think you know <laughs> they they really kind of uh, blazed that path but it, before that it was just a very strange thing to do you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and even after that it was it was not it was not a kind of typical route to take yeah and obviously when you were going well UK that was kind of so you're saying you were doing the LA thing but this was pre Russell and Nicole breaking down the well, doors, it was around the same time yeah, yeah. but it was still kind of. I mean, I just couldn't get my head around it. It was it was something that was very different 
I guess maybe younger people, maybe kids today, especially you know, my kids, they kind of they do have a global mindset. It's yeah. not so kind of intimidating, I suppose, to them. They understand the culture a lot. I mean, it's always a big shock for Australians to go over there and realize how different we are yeah, 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 yeah. from from America. But anyway, so in England you were a bit less different. Is that what you? Well, were in kind England of? it was it was choosing to go to London mm. um, was really kind of it wasn't just for uh, work. So if you go to LA, I, I mean. I don't know many people who say, look, I just really want to live in Los Angeles. It's yeah. such a great city. <laughs> you know? They're starting to say it a bit more because it seems People say to, that yeah, and I oh, just okay. wonder how much of that is just, yeah, it's really great. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just to justify kind of justifying yeah, what the I've kind done. Living yeah, yeah. in that place. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a professional kind of move. Yeah. Going to London was, was kind of a lifestyle kind of move. Yeah. was just really kind of, you know, to, just to live overseas for a while. And, uh, you know, I've always loved the place. And, um, and yeah, they have a much bigger industry. So it just mm. happened to kind of work really well. I was kind of, you know, had done a bunch of films um, that got recognition and, and meant I got a really good agent over there and, and, uh, and it kind of worked out. So I kind of, you know, kind of carved out a, a career over there as just like a jobbing actor, which was, which was great to kind of scratch that itch, I think, for Australian uh, artists as well to kind of work overseas and, and see what that's like yeah yeah yeah. and then you came back and then like one of the things that's kind of funny i mean we're here to talk about reaching distance prime a little bit but mm-hmm. um i was gonna say i i watch you you know you pop up on black comedy for example yeah. and things like that and it's like I, i'm a bit <laughs> and you know i i guess i wonder yeah like so in the same way that you say oh yeah hollywood didn't really mesh with you or whatever you know like well, not I, yet <laughs> Never, never say never. Never say never. But I was going to say, Jesse Weaver. Yeah, that's true. But I, I suppose in doing something like black comedy, like some people would kind of go, "Well, I'm not. I'm too big for that, or whatever." I don't know. Yeah. It just seems you know, like you're no playing bitsy big. roles, you know. Like, and is that how does know, that? It's fine. You know, yeah. I look. You know, if you choose to live in Australia and you're an actor, then you got to play bitsy roles. You know, yeah. you play everything. You know, yeah. that's everything that comes to to you. I mean, there are some things you're just not going to do. Something like black comedy, it's funny, and I, I knew the producer really well, Kath Shelper, and yeah. and the material was fun, and why wouldn't I do it? Yeah, know? it's great. I, yeah. I love it. It's, um, but I was going to say, and I think it's really found its groove too. Yeah. I think yeah. initially in the first season, I was a bit like, I don't get it yet, mm. you know. Like, but now it's it's on the money, especially since Matt Date started appearing. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, so and it sort of ties into Reaching Distance, which is this kind of independent film, mm. you know, like, uh, and there you are, you know, like. Yeah. And Tara Maurice, which is really, you know, refreshing to see and it really adds weight to the to the film. Mm-hmm. But was that was that like something you took off script or someone suggested to you or how did you how That did was you... just a script that came in to my mm-hmm. agent and my agent sent it to me and said, What do you think of this? you know, which is our usual discussion. <laughs> you know, I love kind of inventive filmmaking. I'm you know, because I'm starting to make films myself and I've made a bunch of shorts and that kind of stuff. I'm always thinking about how can I get something made fast and cheap and not have to spend a hundred thousand bucks on a short film or something and here was this script that that david had written that was you know all set entirely pretty much on a bus one location i sat down read it in one go that's unusual and just thought well they've got it all together of course you know why, why wouldn't i uh say mm. yes to this so, mm-hmm. so i'm glad i did i think you did you're great you're great in the film and as i said you add 
you know, gravity to something where, mm. which is needed in, in the project, I think. Anyway, but, um, and I think, I don't know if you've seen the film yet. Have you? I haven't seen it yet. No. <laughs> Screening's coming up soon. Yeah. yeah. So you should try and make it. But yeah, like, I think it really, like, it, 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 I think it's amazing that, you know, a lot of it was done in camera as opposed to a lot of CGI and yeah. things like that, yeah. you know, which is. Uh, Look, they had a real plan. I mean, they, they had it all together and they knew what they were doing and, and, uh, you know, they were really creative and, um, you know. It was mm. it was fun to kind of they're the kind of projects that you know you you're happy to be involved in and they're the ones that sometimes really pay off. I mean, I remember doing straight after Muriel's wedding, the first film I did was Love and Other Catastrophes, mm. and that was they had no money. You know, I think it was like twenty five thousand dollars was their budget. Wow. <laughs> we shot that in seventeen days. You know, and a year later we toured the world. You know, we went to Venice and Cannes and Sundance and. You know, it was a it was a kind of you really were on a roll, yeah. You know, <laughs> and and they they can really kind of they can come off, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, hats off to people who can just get get it made. It's yeah, like yeah. climbing Everest. It's true. These days, though, it seems like it's particularly that kind of stuff is really accessible, you know, mm. as well, though. So there is a little bit of a, you know, there's so much content out so there. Much, yeah. And yeah, like it's interesting. I think if Love and Other Catastrophes was made today, whether it would pop, you know, like. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, mm. you know, there is the kind of, in one sense, it was a lot harder back then because you had to shoot on film mm, mm. and that cost a lot of money, you know. And I mean, they spent, I think they got, I think it was Frank Cox from, yeah, new, new vision. vision. Yeah, yeah, who gave him? I think it was like two hundred thousand to blow it up onto thirty-five. I mean, that's what it cost in yeah, terms yeah. of just getting it put into cinemas. You don't have to worry about any of that now. No, you, no. You can do it on on your laptop. So yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's one hurdle that you don't have to jump. But yeah, there is so much stuff out there. Yeah, so much stuff. It's hard to uh, keep up. And you're moving into directing. So obviously you made. And is it an adaptation of the short film you made? So is that right? I've got kind of two things okay. on the boil at the moment so i did the last few is, is going back to what can i shoot for nothing because yeah. <laughs> i'm a real cheap ass i'm a tight ass because i'm an actor you know <laughs> i don't like spending money you know because i've never pulling really made favors much. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah so you pull favors you know i know i can get some good actors and i can probably get them for a day and i can get them in one room and then they won't hate me too much you know yeah so i made two short films one was called perry which was uh all shot in one room you know over over a day and the other one was the mother situation and Perry kind of took off and did a bunch of festivals and most notably Palm Springs and Matchbox have uh, have uh, bought the rights to that so we're we're developing that into a series at the okay. moment. Uh, the mother situation we won Trotfest so we won that was the kind of first year Trotfest came back from the dead it was out at Parramatta and we won 2017 Best uh, film and screenplay mm. and actress for Sasha Haller. Yeah. And we're adapting that into, we're developing that into a feature okay. with Porchlight. Did you get so, to go, you know how at PropFest, don't they, when they give you the top prize, you got you get to go and shake lots of hands? Or I don't know. Did you shake lots of hands? go overseas or something? <laughs> yeah. Back I'm going, to LA. I'm going there in two okay. weeks. Yeah, because I couldn't go last year because I was doing a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. I'm going this year. And you're yeah. going to be trying to kind of like, do you think you're going to have both your projects under your arms? I don't know what I'm going to be doing, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, why am I going? Okay. I was trying to cash it in for like a JB Hi-Fi gift card or something. But... <laughs> it was non-transferable. Non-transferable. You've got to take the flights or you lose them. So, okay. Okay. Well, you know, you've got to have a plan, I think. You're going to have to make, yeah, make some calls. Yeah, I do have a plan okay. somewhere Good. in the back of my mind. Yeah. But, but so I suppose... 
Um, so you're working on these two projects to, mm-hmm. and and they're what sort of space are they in? Are they because I guess what I want to, I'd love to know what sort of you know what inspires you, you know, like in terms of I guess yeah. Look, they're I, both fairly dark. I okay, mean, you know, I mean, the mother situ- situation is a comedy about euthanasia, so <laughs> funny stuff. Funny stuff, yeah. man. That kind of tells you where my mind is, I suppose. And Perry was, yeah, that's about, you know, like a kind of middle-class couple have just had a baby and bought a new house and they've got friends around for a dinner party and they decide they want to get some drugs. So they invite this drug dealer over who one of them used to go to school with and then he turns up and then he won't leave. Okay, so that's, and that's a series. Now we're developing that into a series. Okay, yeah. I'd be fascinated to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot, <laughs> be... of, a lot of places where it can go. But that's kind of like they're both kind of... I mean, Perry, which is now called The Wake Up, okay. is a, you know, that's kind of like a black, black comedy slash thriller type okay. of thing. And, okay. and uh, I kind of see the mother situation as a bit more kind of dramedy, I suppose. So basically you're, you're sort of su- suggesting that life uh, has its ups and downs kind of thing and the only way to look at them is in a... It's a yeah. bit of a sense of humour, yeah? Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, I'm you know, I mean, I kind it. of like black comedy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I, I kind of think things are a little absurd and it's my own way of kind of dealing with <laughs> with yeah. life is to yeah. kind of look at the darker side of it. Yeah, yeah. And is that the kind of characters that you're attracted to as an actor as well as a storyteller, I wonder? Like... Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's kind of character. I mean, you, you kind of... You find a groove when you're an actor. You kind of, you know, there's kind of always like people talk about oh, the Matt Day part, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I guess what they call typecasting, you know, yeah, what's yeah. the Matt Day part, you know. And I guess, you know, I kind of feel like I'm just going to have to write something for myself that's going to kind of break the Matt Day. Because there's been times when you've gone for non-Matt Day parts. Yeah? You, don't like, even, you, know. you don't even go for it. Okay. I mean, I, in my kind of situation is you really sit around and, and you just get it, you know, do you want to come and do this? Um, you know, yeah. you, you test for stuff still, you know, but it's often stuff that, you know, you could do on your head and they've seen you do a hundred times. I mean, it was interesting. I had this conversation with Wayne Blair not long ago at a party and we did, he, he, we, I did Love Child last year. He directed a few episodes of that and he was like, I just want to, I just want to shave your head and, <laughs> and, and, you know, just kind of cast you like as a drug dealer or something. I'm like, yes, you know. And you'd be all for that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'd love to do something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. mean. You know, I suppose I, I don't see myself in that kind of light of, of, of some of the characters I played, like I guess on, you know, uh, David Potter and Rake would be, so, I mean, I'm so different to that guy. <laughs> but I'd like to kind of try other things, Yeah, I suppose. And I get it, I'm, I'm probably a little more fussy these days. A bit more from Matt in a minute, but first I thought I'd, um, you know, do a bit of a word from our sponsor, um, which is specifically the Japanese Film Festival, the 2018 one, which has already kicked off in a few um, cities, namely Canberra, and it runs till the 21st of October, kicks off in Brisbane from the 24th to the 28th, and then Perth from the 31st of October to the 4th of November, and oh yeah. Let's not forget Adelaide, November 9 to 11. Now, all of those are real abridged versions of the film festival, showing kind of the best of. But then from 
15th of November to the 25th in Sydney, and then the 22nd of November to the 2nd of December in Melbourne. That's when they do the full uh, Wham Bam kind of program, which shows all the latest Japanese films and all their crazy genres and, and you know, art house films. And um, yeah, like, you, you know, you see the, the breadth of uh, production in, in Japan. And yeah, they're fabulous films. Um, head on over to japanesefilmfestival.net to find out more. Um, yeah, don't miss the Japanese Film Festival, one of the most important cultural um, events on the calendar. Now, um, a bit more from Matt Day talking about films that changed his life. So tell me, like, you know, back, even winding back to the time when you, you know, went and started acting and things like that, was there, were there movies and things like that that sort of inspired you and kind of made you go, I want to be like, you know, that person or, you know, that I want to be in movies like that? Yeah. I mean, I suppose a big one for me was going, I I remember wagging school one day with a friend and as I did a fair bit when I was You weren't young. the only one, right? <laughs> yeah. And and going off to the Carlton Movie House, okay. which isn't there anymore. It's, I mean, the facade's still there. I think it's like a bakery or something. This is in Carlton where I grew up in the 80s. And uh, we just kind of went and whatever happened to be on that day, which was Withnall and I. Ah. And that was just a... That just kind of really blew my mind. I remember at the time, it was just such a phenomenal performance from Rich D. Grant, who I've actually become friends with. I've worked with since then and become friends with and I've never actually told him this <laughs> that it was a, a movie that really blew yeah your mind, occasionally yeah. he refers to it oh, I did this silly film once you know I'm sure he hears back in the it 80s yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean that film's got such you know, yeah like, such a- um and that was I mean I guess it was, I just loved the kind of the way it romanticized the actor's life well I don't know if you'd say it romanticized it but portrayed it you know these two guys down and outs in late 60s London um but also just what you could do in terms of, of, you know, performance on screen as well. And it was so actor focused. I mean, it really is not about much at all. It's a, I mean, I think someone summed it up and said, it's a film about, you know, two men who go on holiday, holiday by mistake, <laughs> but it's just the dialogue and the performance of Paul McGann and, and Richard E. Grant. And, and that really struck a chord with me. And that's a black comedy. Kind of, and that's a black comedy. Yeah. Charcoal. And that's some great. Yeah. That's charcoal. Some great, I mean, amazing dialogue. Who was the guy who wrote that again? Can't remember. I forget his name. Yeah, he hasn't made many films. Is it the writer director guy? Did he direct as well? I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Anyway, great film. That was that was a a real. I think he made a film with Jude Law not long ago. I can't remember. Richard, someone. Anyway, um, but I was going to say. So, did you go around quoting lines from it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Got really annoying. You were that guy. I was yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was still when you were in high school. And, yeah, so yeah, I was 14, 15, I think, at that point. And um, and there were other films. I like Repo Man was another one that okay. just really I can't get enough of. I haven't I guess seen you know, I know it's a cult film and everything, yeah. but I remember seeing it way back when. And then since then, it's, it's gathered yeah. this massive cult. Oh, yeah. It's a great film. Yeah. I think Emilio Estevez. Is it Estevez or Estevez? Estevez, I think. Estevez, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Emilio. Tomato, tomato. Doesn't like the film. Okay. The movie, apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah but that yeah. was uh, that was another kind of um, 
seminal film for me. For well, me. I think those sheens, they sort of have, they've become a little bit more conservative than have I, they? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I wonder someone like Martin Sheen, right, makes Apocalypse Now, the kind of stuff that he was mm. in, that did in that film. I don't know, and even Badlands or something. I just, I don't Not know. Not Charlie, you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie. <it's, laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to think. No, Charlie did have some credit one stage. I don't know for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Wall but, Street. Good yeah, Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah, he's gone the other way. He's I gone think the other in a way. way. Yeah, he's gone off the rails. But I think that film. I mean, Repo Man really kind of mm. that really kind of um, informed my musical taste. It had the best soundtrack. It was all this kind of LA hardcore. Uh, music and punk okay. music, which I which I loved. Which then, yeah, you were at a particular age, which, yeah, which then just, you became obsessed with that particular yeah, type yeah. of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier with with Dan All Nye the performances, and I wonder you like you know you also mentioned Sasha Haller, you know, winning Best Actress at you know Trump mm-hmm. Fest. I wonder what's your. I mean, I guess do you have a particular insight as a performer when you're directing, performing? Is that like? Ah, uh, look, I have various prejudices that I like to bring bring to bear. <laughs> when I'm directing I think that there's in Australian particularly when we're doing comedy there's a very broad big theatrical style that we we often bring to it I don't think there's good or bad I just think you know there's things that you kind of you know you can uh, what's the word I'm looking for there's there are certain style I, I prefer kind of naturalistic style of acting yeah a much more kind of underplayed performance style and it's really fun for me to uh, kind of be able to be the puppet master when I'm directing with actors and, and really get get them to really pull back. I really enjoy that. Okay. So um, in other words, an over-the-top situation, but yeah, give it, you know, pull it, pull but it down. Just play it as real as possible. You yeah. Know? Um, and that doesn't mean that it's not really well thought out and, and, you know, that I don't get everyone to stick to the lines. I do. There's not a lot of improvisation, but, but it's about, um, yeah, just kind of pitching it at a very real level so that people just even momentarily can forget that they're watching something. Yeah. Um, I think you've kind of, you know, you've, you've achieved something there. Okay. Yeah. No, no. And that's what you're trying to, when you're working with the actors. Yeah. Does that mean, I'm wondering though on a set, now that you've got aspirations to direct, how do you... How do I communicate that? <laughs> no, well, how do you, like, is it when you're watching someone else directing and are you kind of... Uh, trying to you have to contribute? kind of... You know, you have to compartmentalize those two parts of yourself. When I'm working as an actor on a set, it's the director's medium, you know, in film and TV. And that's and why you're aspiring well. to be a director, yeah? Like, yeah, I mean, if I'm, a, if I'm an actor, you know, I might, I'll make suggestions and I'll offer things up, but they're the boss. Whoever's directing has kind of got the final say. And also every project is kind of different. Every, every project has its own style. So when you're stepping into a, a certain project, you can see that's got its own style of acting or performance that is pitched at. And that's the director's job to get that pitch. Yeah. I mean, you know, I read somewhere, I don't remember who said it, but it was something along the lines that the director is responsible for every perform- performance that ends up on screen. So I guess having been a performer for 30 years, that's really my focus is on, is on performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I leave that to the director and then when I'm directing... That's when I get to do what I want to do. So, 
And you mentioned like, so and I, I don't know if you've got any others that kind of pop, obviously those two are really formative films. Yeah. That you mm. saw and the kind of, you know, like we're exciting. Do you see stuff these days that you kind of, or are you now jaded and, you know, like, and, <laughs> cause I always find like, the, it's hard to feel, find films that, you know, blow your mind or, you know, like change your world that uh, when you're a bit older, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I kind of really getting into a lot of the genre stuff at the moment. Some of the kind of, some of the filmmaking that's come out of like horror and okay. thrillers is really exciting and, and seems to be really pushing boundaries. I saw a film, I think it was last year, possibly the year before called Raw. Yeah. 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 The French French cannibal film, which I just, just blew me away. I just thought that was brilliant. Just kind of brilliantly directed, just a great, great writing and just kind of took it to a different place that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I always um, find like, yeah, these days because more and more women are directing and I don't know mm. if you saw that because you were obviously, you mentioned Love and Other Catastrophes, mm -hmm. which, you know, Emma, did she co-direct or direct? I don't know. Yeah, anyway. um, But I'm, I'm kind of, I, I think with Raw, it's like when you see cinema, we've just seen cinema for a hundred years, which is all directed, you know, a lot yeah. of it's through the male gaze. Whenever it's mm. through the female gaze, it's quite exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I, I keep ranting. I don't know if you saw, there's a, there's a TV series when you mentioned in TV before, like Girlfriend Experience, which was kind of co-directed by, Oh, a woman, yeah, yeah. Amy Simons or whatever. Yeah. I saw and the I, first season. Which yeah, was and I thought, yeah. yeah, I didn't bother with the second one, but I, which mm. I find trouble. Um, but yeah, like when you, you could just see when the female directed it, you know. Yeah. And I just think that they just have a different, yeah. And I think yeah, War is a, a horror film by a woman, and you know, I should just have different concerns. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there was another great one, mm. which is uh, uh, Hurt Locker. You know. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what's the director's name? Ka um, Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. Thank and you. she directed this great vampire film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, near dark. near dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Film, which you can't find anywhere. Really? Can't find the. I want to watch I, it again recently, but you can't get it on the you streaming can't get it things on, on or the, whatever. On the internet's. No. Yeah. Okay. But that's a brilliant film. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Bill Paxton yeah. and all that. Yeah, like it was kind of broading and yeah. yeah. Yeah, really different take on the on the vampire thing. I mean, I think that Danny Boyle did the same thing with Twenty Eight Days Later. That was yeah. another one where it's like, oh, you know. A great use of a kind of you know re redo of an old genre, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So genre, it's kind of like, would you want to be acting in genre as well? But it sounds well. I did, I yeah. did, um, I did the last series of Wolf Creek last okay. year. I haven't caught that. Yeah, How I had that? so much fun. <laughs> Just <laughs> that was one of those ones where it came in. I was like, Wolf, oh god, isn't that like torture porn? And then they sent the scripts through, and it was kind of more thrillery. You know, would it's like a bus dropped out in the desert, and then we have to escape as Mick hunts us down it was so much fun just run around screaming and 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 then i come bad as well kind of about halfway oh, through the series and and so yeah that was that was my first foray into into genre filmmaking and uh and yeah, greg mcclain directed it yeah, greg all directed the apps yeah, yeah uh no he directed oh. two so okay. um and yeah it was great Great experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think that that'll do because it's school holiday time. You got the kid here. Got to go. <laughs> Is that enough? No, no, it's heaps. Unless you had other films that you needed to mention in particular that may have blown oh, you away. In, so in, many films. Yeah. So you strike. You're a film buff. Yeah. You go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm just trying to think. So many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, no. Um, but yeah, good luck with everything. I look forward to seeing the your directing efforts. Very thanks, Tom. All right. I look forward to presenting them to you. Yay! Thanks, Matt. And that was my chat with Matt Day. Uh, it was a real pleasure getting him in. It was quite funny. He had his um, eight-year-old kid along on the day. 
who uh, wasn't interested in listening to Dad, <laughs> so went off to another room and just entertained himself. Um, whilst Matt and I chatted, and you know, we did it during the school holidays, as you do, hence the kid. Um, Matt, as I said, uh, features in a film called Reaching Distance, which I saw for the second time the other day at, um, at the Sydney premiere, and it really, really blew my mind. It's, it's like so well written and so well realized on such a small budget and, and I really think this is a film that's going to be one for the ages it's it sort of delves you know unlike so many films um, which kind of touch on one thing or you know maybe two you know but in it's such a blatant way this one is kind of couched in a bit of a what is going on but you know, as you go through the film and you're totally engaged because you're kind of, you know, it's got this enigmatic premise, but then one by one the penny drops and and just when you think it's going to go to places you kind of think are on the nose, it sort of flips it on you and it really, you know, I, I really love this film and I think, you know, it's such a you know, it's, go, it's getting some cinema screening, so coming up at Macquarie Centre on October 29, October 22 in Melbourne at the Lido, um, November 5 in Adelaide at GU Filmhouse, and November 12 in Perth and Brisbane at Event Cinemas in Alu and the Maya Centre respectively. And then I think it's going to get a date at Avoca, Be um, Avoca Beach Cinemas there and hopefully a few more down the line. You can go to filmic.com.au and go to the Filmic Presents page and then you'll find Reaching Distance on there or, you know, to the Filmic Presents Facebook page and, you know, you can get all the details there. Um, but I really think this is a film that will be embraced by the sort of the Netflix generation. You know, so many programs that pop up on that um, on that app <laughs> um, have these kind of high concepts and, you know, big ideas, I guess, and some are, you know, most are not that successful, whereas Reaching Distance is. It really pulls it off, and, you know, it's brilliantly acted. You know, you've got, like some great emerging Australian actors in it, but also you've got people like Matt Day and Tara Maurice, um, which who add real gravitas to it. And, you know, David Fairhurst and the producers of the film really need to be commended because this is a really, really ambitious idea and, uh, you know, pulled off brilliantly. Like, you know, this is the kind of stuff, I guess, you know, Wachowski brothers dwell in, you know, like, and, um, you know, so David Fairhurst, who's, you know, we had a podcast with recently and he's barely 30 or something, he's someone to really keep an eye on and, you know, this is a great experience in and of itself. And I hope it ends up on, on these streaming platforms where I think people will be pretty excited to, to, to discover it. Um, speaking of discovery, um, I guess, uh, you know, Matt talked about uh, films that changed his life. A lot of them he really digs are black comedies. And um, I really, really dig um, Robert Altman, as you guys know. <laughs> and I really love um, two black comedies that he made. But one particular one, like one of them is um, California Split, which is more of a kind of, 
drama, I suppose. It's about gambling and whatnot, but it does have laughs. You know, it's got George Siegel in it um, and Elliot Gould from memory. Um, but the one I think is incredibly successful is, of course, the original feature film version of MASH. Um, you know, Altman famously disowned the TV series, which is one that everyone knows about. But, you know, the TV, the film, of course, came first. And, you know, it's just a fascinating story how it was made and, and the power of black comedy. So it was made around the time of, you know, the Vietnam was, you know, Vietnam War was, you know, going off at the time. And, you know, no one was allowed to talk about it really in mainstream entertainment because it wouldn't have been politically correct, I guess. Um, so, you know, Altman's film couches it in the Korean War, um, but it's obviously about Vietnam and all the blood being shed there and the sort of ridiculousness of it all. Um, but then also the film, so the film was made by 20th Century Fox and at the time they really had their eye on various other films, I think, you know, some some World War II film about Iwo Jima, I think, or, and then, you know, Patton as well. And, you know, Altman's film was, like, barely, you know, like, on the radar for them. They just, you know, funded it. And they didn't really believe in it. They watched it. They went, oh, this film sucks. But they put it in front of an audience, and the audience just went mental about the film. And, you know, the rest, the rest is history, really. It's, um... It really resonated with people and, you know, it's kind of tone, um, you know, was really embraced by younger people. And I think this applies to Reaching Distance. I really think it's a film that younger people really dig and get a lot out of. The ideas it dwells in uh, are on their minds, you know. It's kind of spiritual but also realistic and, you know, comments on violence and forgiving yourself and moving on in life things like that. God, I hope I haven't spoiled it for people. But anyway, MASH. The rest is history in that, you know, Altman went on to become one of the most influential filmmakers of all time. And, you know, Donald Sutherland, Elliot Gould became major stars. And, um, you know, I, I would say MASH did change Hollywood. Unfortunately, um, Hollywood is back to its usual ways of just making the same, same films. And we can only hope that another MASH comes along in the future. Maybe Matt Day will direct it. Anyway, I'm Dov Cornett. Thanks so much for listening to the films that changed my life. And uh, I hope, hope you catch Reaching Distance. It's really worth your while. See ya.